Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, what's up, my friends? I pray that you are having a fantastic day. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Blessed to be with you as always and excited because today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. So this is podcast 78, and the title is, I was lost, but now I am found. Now, I want to say, if you're listening and you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've confessed Him as your Lord and Savior And you think back, my friend, when you were completely lost, you were dead in your sins, you were dead in your trespasses, there was no life in you, and through whatever amazing circumstances of God sending people in your life, uh, miracle stories, signs, whatever, and you just came to the realization that you are a sinner, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day. And if you cry out to him in complete and total abandonment and faith, and you confess him as your Lord, boom, you are saved. And you just think about what a magnificent story that you and I possess of individuals who were once lost, but now we are found. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, oftentimes people, when they look at these different quote unquote parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, known as the prodigal, they see three separate parables. Well, actually, in fact, when you look in context, it's one overarching parable with three unique stories that Jesus tells in a very odd, mixed up crowd of tax collectors and sinners with Pharisees and scribes, which explains why he did what he did. Now, if you go back in Luke 13, you remember Jesus was speaking to the crowd about repentance in the parable of the fruitless fig tree in Luke 13, 6 through 9. And then he goes and he teaches in the synagogue and he heals a woman on the Sabbath in Luke 13, 10 through 21. He then goes towards Jerusalem and he remained dedicated to teaching the people about the kingdom of heaven in Luke 13, 22 through 30. And then we're told that sometime Jesus goes and spends a few days in Berea in John 10, 40 through 42. And then he dines with a Pharisee leader where he heals another person on the Sabbath in Luke 14, one through six. And then he continues to teach them about this coming banquet that they will celebrate in heaven someday in Luke 14, seven through 35. And this is now where we pick things up in Luke chapter 15, looking at this overarching parable about lostness. So that's the main focus of our discussion today is lostness and, of course, us being found because of Jesus Christ. Let's pick things up here in Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at the first portion of this overarching parable in verses 1 through 7, and we're going to talk about the story of the lost sheep. So we're told in verse 1, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near, meaning they were getting closer to hear Jesus. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling. They were so outraged. They were so discontent saying, this man receives, literally in Greek, he welcomes, he accepts with friendliness, sinners and eats with them. All right, let's pause before we go any further because this is important. Notice that the Pharisees were upset with Jesus because of his association with the sinners. Now, oftentimes people just kind of think of, of Jesus 
befriending them, spending time with them. But no, what in essence they were saying here in the Greek was that Jesus is just like them. He is unclean. He's wicked. He's a sinner, meaning he's living the same lifestyles as they're living. When you ate with people in that culture, that table fellowship was a covenant relationship. It signified friendship. And so you would partake in this intimate fellowship with your friends and what they did, you did. So in essence, they're saying, Jesus, if, if you're hanging out with sinners who are drinking, you're drinking. If you're hanging out with people who are selling their bodies, perhaps maybe you're doing that or you're hiring these prostitutes and you're having sex with them. That is the scathing accusation that they're putting on Jesus. Yet Jesus in love, we're seeing him reaching out to these outcasts, despite what the religious leaders were assuming. I love that about Jesus because they were coming down hard on him. And rather than him kind of backpedal or make excuses, he's reaching the lost. And, and through this, this uh, tumultuous relationship that he's been having with the religious leaders, and especially at this point in time when you have on one side these tax collectors were told and these sinners that just basically embody all those forms of sin, as I mentioned before, drunkenness, greed, uh, prostitution. And you have on, on the other side these religious leaders who are wealthy, clean cut, following the law leading the Sanhedrin, et cetera, it inspires Jesus to launch this beautiful parable about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So we see here that Jesus is directing this singular parable to the Pharisees and the scribes and the sinners who are you know, in the audience because they were so outraged by his uncleanliness, his wickedness. So, so his message is amazing because rather than get defensive or ignore them or leave the situation, Jesus actually directs this welcoming invitation for them to repent. And he's going to tell, again, in these three portions, how that reflects where they're at and their conditions of where their heart is. But he wants to also signal to them and each story, if you're familiar with them, before we jump right into them, there's this element of fellowship and rejoicing that goes on. So it's kind of weird because as harsh as they're being to Jesus, he's saying, I want to have this intimacy with you. And so these lost people that he's going to be talking about, if you will, in this overarching parable, they're tied to the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, all these people. You go back to Luke 14, 12 through 24, you see the description of that when he talks about the banquet. They rejected the invitation. And so the master puts out an invitation for all people to come that were poor, crippled, and lame, and blind. And he continues on this love story, if you will, and yet they continue to reject him. So notice in verse 4, he says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Verse 5, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, verse 7, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. All right, several things here that we see that Jesus mentions. Number one, flocks oftentimes had 100 sheep. And so sheep, as we know, are prone to wander off and get lost or get hurt. So when the shepherd would have to leave the 99 in this case, 
and go after the one, other shepherds would have to look after the flock. Now, what's significant about this first part of the parable is how it portrays uh, Israel as the flock, right? As sheep. This was something that we see in Ezekiel 34, 1 through 24. And we, of course, in the previous podcast, we talked about in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, where Jesus was saying, I am the good shepherd and the sheep know my voice. So with him introducing, again, talking about lostness, and we're talking about the lost people of Israel, that they don't uh, know Jesus as the Messiah, therefore they're lost. And he, and he starts off talking about a shepherd. He's saying to them, just like the, the, the prophetic book of Ezekiel, he's using that metaphor to point out how they're a sheep who are wandering off. They're getting hurt, that they're lost, and they need to be found. Remember Isaiah prophesied, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there's no doubt that Jesus was thinking about these passages when he's telling them this portion of the parable about the lost sheep. Because remember in Luke 19 verse 10, he would later say, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That, my friends, was the prime message of Jesus throughout his entire ministry. And that's what he's conveying to them. Now, of course, as I mentioned before, for the Pharisees to hear this and the scribes, being a shepherd was a lowly position. So there's no way they're relating to this, let alone even thinking of themselves as a sheep saying that they're lost. So they're probably very offended. Now, a lot of the sinners, people who are lost, who realize that, this was probably music to their ears. And so in verse five, it says, when he was, when he was found and he lays it on his shoulders, see what What's interesting here now is when the shepherd finds the sheep, oftentimes what happened to discipline the sheep from not wandering off anymore, they would have to break a leg and then carry it for quite some time and nurse it back to health. This would also create a bonding experience the shepherd can have with a sheep and hopefully, again, teach the sheep a lesson. Don't wander off. Don't leave me. It's a great picture, of course, in the famous Psalm uh, 23, and again, is reflected back to John chapter 10, verse 11. Now, verse 6 says, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. Notice the excitement, and they rejoice with him. The shepherd, you see, was responsible for the safety and the well-being of the sheep. If the shepherd could not prove that the sheep was killed, he would have to pay for it. So you can see the excitement. One, the shepherd loves the sheep, but also that it was found, it was recovered, and he won't have to pay for that. So, so that is significant to kind of see the celebratory nature of this whole thing. Now, another thing that's important, as I was mentioning before, the imagery here of the shepherd that takes place here. Remember, if, if Israel is the flock, is the sheep, if you will, the lost uh, sheep of Israel, then the, the shepherd is God which also, as we go into the New Testament here with Christ, who is God in the flesh, he's the uh, portrayal of the Messiah. You see this in Numbers 27 over 17, again, Psalm 23 and Ezekiel 34. So when, when, when now Jesus says this about the lost sheep, and then he turns to the audience and he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So this story is about rejoicing and celebrating a soul that was once lost, dead in their sins, but now is alive in Christ. That's true repentance. And you see, again, that in Matthew 18, 12 through 14. So Jesus hits them 
on the lostness by using a sheep shepherd imagery. And then the second part of the parable is the lost coin now in Luke 15, 8 through 10. Here in verse 8, it says, Or what woman having 10 silver coins? Literally, this is a drachma. It's a day wage on a dowry. And she, and if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now to understand this portion of the parable a little bit better, in that time in the first century, peasant homes were laid with this loosely fitted stones, okay? And some of them had some boards over it. So you can imagine this dowry that she had and she loses a coin from it and it falls into one of these crevices and one of these cracks and and it make, making it extremely difficult to find. And that's why it says that she uses a broom kind of sweeping through to kind of hear the clanking of it. Now, the reason she needed a lamp is because in these first century peasant homes, they didn't have windows. They just had a small entryway. So even in the daylight, in the daytime, I should say, it was very dark. And so it required her to have this lamp. One commentary says when a Jewish girl married, she began to wear a headband of 10 silver coins to signify that she was now a wife. It was the Jewish version of our modern wedding ring. It would be considered a calamity for her to lose one of those coins. So you see, it wasn't just that she lost money. She lost something more significant than that. And that's why when she found it, she gathers her friends just like the shepherd did with the sheep. She gathers her friends. They rejoice together. She says, rejoice with me for I found the coin that I had lost. And Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the celebration over finding the lost coin, I believe for her wedding headband, Speak to the joy in heaven over one lost soul coming to Christ. Isaiah 62 verse 5 says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Zephaniah three seventeen: The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Now we jump to the third part of the parable. And this is one that most people know more than any probably parable that Jesus ever taught. And that's the lost son, the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 through 32. So I'm going to read the entire thing and then we'll jump in there and add some commentary. Verse 11 says, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So literally here he says, give something of value with love to me. I know you love me. And I want you to give me what I believe is rightfully mine, meaning give me my inheritance. And so he divided, meaning he apportioned, he distributed, he dealt out his property between the two of them. Not many days later, the young son gathered, meaning he exchanged into money all of what his father had given to him. And he took a long journey to a far country, just literally means that he went far away for a long period of time. And there he squandered, meaning he spent foolishly with no purpose, his property in reckless, careless, wasteful, debauchery living. And when he had wasted everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need, meaning he began to lack in essentials. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country 
and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy, meaning I'm no longer deserving of a high state to be called your son. Treat or turn me into one of your own hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, meaning he suffered destruction and he is found again. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He was furious and he refused to go in. And his father came out and he entreated. He earnestly asked, implored, he appealed to his son. But he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is found." All right, so there's so much here. I'm just going to give you the cliff note version of these things. Let's jump right back to the very beginning. So when you notice the son goes, the youngest son goes to his father demanding for his inheritance. So now this third story of the parable is marked by two sons, right? The younger, who's the prodigal son in verses 12 through 24, and the elder who basically represents the ungrateful son, or in this case, the religious leaders. So remember, there's two audiences that were there listening to Jesus here in Luke 15, where he tells this overarching parable. There were the Pharisees and the scribes, and there was the tax collectors, and there were the sinners. So the last portion of this parable, Jesus uses a family to relay the message that he wants to be the father of our lives, okay, that we are his children. So it's a beautiful picture as Jesus is telling this parable in these three different significant ways. So when you see that the father responds, you're thinking, what? So the Pharisees and the scribes listening to this parable are thinking, this is messed up because in Deuteronomy 21 verse 17, younger sons received only half of what the eldest son received and a third of the father's estate, yet he's splitting it in half. So the actions of the father were not customary. They were not lawful to give his son, his youngest son, that is, the portion prior to the death of the father. This was tantamount to wishing the father dead in essence. Yet notice the father agrees to the demands of his son and he gives the son his inheritance before he actually dies. Again, this depicts the son, the prodigal that is, the the youngest son, to be greedy, to be rebellious, to be foolish, to be ungrateful, uh, to the highest levels, if you will. And yet... The contrast to that we see the father is representing love and mercy. And so he takes his money, he exchanges it, 
and he goes out and we're told he squanders it. So the concept here is not only is his son greedy, rebellious, and foolish, but he burns all the bridges. Literally, that's what it's kind of reading into the Greek. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to be around his father. He doesn't want to continue the business. He just liquidates all the stuff, the livestock property and all the goods. He liquidates them all into cash. He doesn't want to have anything to do with his family. There is no plans for him to invest properly and to give back in any way. Now, what's interesting, when we think of prodigal, we just think of you know this rebellious son. Well, the prodigal, the term here means desolate, but it carries the idea of sexual and moral living. So this is very important because this son was very lustful for sex, okay? So he had this huge stronghold, this huge addiction. And so he just cared about that. He cared about his desires. Oftentimes when we hear the story, and obviously the children's ministry version, you know, is very light. But when you look at the text, this guy was devoted to a lot of sick, perverted things. In verse 14, when he had spent, when he wasted everything, he had nothing left. And this big, huge famine arose in the country. He's far away from his family, right? And this prodigal, he wasted his entire inheritance on sinful living. And he had nothing to show for. There was nothing reserved in case of emergency. And so he literally hires himself out. And this is interesting because when you think about it, as a prodigal, as this desolate individual, he was buying prostitutes who were selling themselves. And now we're told in verse 15 that he hires himself out. He builds an association of saying, I'm a slave for hire. Now notice, remember what he left and he sells himself out there in this disgraceful way to feed these pigs. And then as he's there, he has this strong desire to be fed. Now these carapods that were used to feed the pigs, guess what? The food was not digestible for humans. And notice that the prodigal, he had no more money. No one cared about him. Now go back to the audience that's listening to this. Shepherds were low position. Women were second-class citizens. This father is a complete and total idiot, according probably to the Pharisees and the scribes and not following the law. But not only that, but then Jesus starts talking about the most unclean animal of them all, a pig. One commentary says, since pigs were unclean animals according to the law, Jesus suggests that the younger son became a swine herding slave to a Gentile non-Jewish person, which is a threefold dishonor. And so the scribes, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees to whom Jesus is speaking would have equated this to a cursed life. And in essence, he's showing the total depravity of the situation. Verse 17, when it says, when he came to himself, it literally in Greek means that when he came out of insanity, and I, I got to say, my friends, when we just go out and do whatever we want in complete and total rebellion, and we think we got it, and we're good, and I'm just going to have my season, I'm just going to have my time, that type of life, that kind of thinking, that type of rebellion and disobedience leads to insanity. And we see now at the lowliest state of the prodigal that, it, that he looks at his sin, he, and he realizes how messed up and how much help he needs how ungrateful he was to his father, that he wasn't himself, that the sin that he was seeking, that he became a slave to as it mastered him, brought him to insanity. Think of people, Nebuchadnezzar, for example, in the Old Testament. So he says, I will arise and I'll go and I'll talk to my father, meaning I will engage in my wrongdoing. I will show him that I've broken the law against heaven before you. I'm not even worthy to be a servant. So now you see this transition because of the brokenness that the prodigal announced his sin against God. And then 
he announces the sin that he had against his heavenly father. He wasn't demanding, if you notice, notice that there's no more pride here. He wasn't demanding his formal status. He wasn't saying, you know, I'm going to concoct this story and pretend like, you know, bad things happened to me and I was robbed or I put, I made a poor investment. I'm going to come back and tell my dad and he'll just, you know, all's forgiven. I'll be right back to doing what I was doing. No, he simply wanted to gain his father's forgiveness. That was most important to him and accept any consequences to follow. So he arises and he goes and his father is waiting for him and he sees him and he, with compassion, he runs and he embraces him. Now here, what's interesting in the East, it was very unusual for older men to run in any way. And yet we see the father's running to him and we see that the son is, is begging his father for his forgiveness and his father's embracing him and he calls for a celebration. He wants a reception because his son has returned. And when he says, bring quickly the best robe, that literally means reserve for the guest of honor and, and put a ring on him. That signifies sonship and shoes on his feet, meaning he is not a slave. He is a master in this home. And verse 24, he says, for this, my son was dead, meaning he was lifeless. There was no hope, but he's alive again. He was lost, meaning total, total destruction, but now he's recovered. He's been restored. So once again, Jesus inserts, if you notice, another banquet mo motif here. That's interesting. This was going throughout Luke 13 and Luke 14 and now Luke 15. So this is a picture, a beautiful picture of repentance and celebration. And this made perfect sense to a Jew. So it was really bad. Jesus kind of went full circle and telling these three different stories in this overarching parable. But now it makes sense where they, he ends with this celebratory thing that what was lost is now found and the, and the ring and the shoes and the robe. So remember the Jews, they strongly believed as a nation in repentance before God. And that's what Jesus is portraying to them. But of course, we hear about the elder son who represents or depicts the Pharisees, right? The religious leaders. And he hears that his brother has returned and he's furious and he's so upset by it, the father comes out there and he's pleading with him. And notice how the eldest son responded. He responds based on work and reward, not a personal intimate relationship. I've always done this for you and you've never done this for me in return. Doesn't that sound like a religious person? You know, things that you do moralistically. And notice he resented his father. He resented his father for showing love to the youngest. He doesn't refer to him as his brother, but your son. He gets so upset that he's, celebrating this and the father's pleading with his eldest to participate in the celebration. And he demonstrates his love for both sons. He's saying, I've everything that's mine is yours. But sadly, ultimately the person who had the hard heart, the person who was the most ungrateful this whole time was the eldest. And it wasn't the prodigal who rejects the forgiveness of his father. It's the eldest who rejects the father's request. And likewise, as we know, the Pharisees, they refuse to enter the kingdom of heaven. But my friend, I pray that is not true of you. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, based on Luke 15, let's just celebrate and rejoice and be so thankful, so grateful of what he has done for us. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're listening to this podcast because you're seeking the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. My friend, Jesus Christ came into this world, God in the flesh. He lived a sinless life as we've been going through in the gospel accounts, performing miracles, fulfilling prophecy. 
and he took your sins and my sins and it was nailed on the cross and he was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, on Easter, that Easter morning, he rose from the dead. And you can have eternal life in him if you admit that you're a sinner, that you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, and you confess him. Say, Lord, I want you in my life. And I pray you will do that. With that, my friends, thank you for listening. And until next time, keep standing strong. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.